we're going to be talking about the great banquet. So without further ado, this is a banquet table, in case you're wondering. And so if you'll flip with me to Luke 14, and we'll find Jesus' parable in Luke 14 on the great banquet, starting in verse 16. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then he said to, then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring here the poor and crippled and blind and the lame. Verse 22, And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is yet room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. And so I believe there's a, a few different applications to this parable. Uh, one is um, Jesus invites uh, the house of Israel, the Pharisees, the religious class, basically uh, uh, deny him and, and don't accept his invitation. And so he comes to the poor and the blind and the crippled, right? And they accept the invitation. And, and then it, it, the parable prophesies of what's to come is where you're going to find the Gentiles in the highways and the byways and along the hedges. And so that, there's that application of this parable. And I wanted to state that before we get into reading a little bit more in between the lines, because it also speaks of salvation, Right. Jesus, and then Jesus prepares us for the excuses that we ourselves gives or when we're out spreading the gospel seed that the excuses that we're going to encounter or the distractions, if you will, that we're going to encounter, right? The first one was I've bought a piece of land, money and possessions. I have five yoke of oxen. There's work. I have married me a wife. There is relationships. Okay, and all, all these things in and of themselves are good, but too much of a bad thing or too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. We make it an idol in our hearts because there should be no thing that's on the throne of our hearts. There should be a person on the throne of our hearts, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. And so the gospel invitation is for, the salvation invitation is for all of us this morning if we have not yet accepted him. But I want to get somewhere with those who are born-again believers because I believe that we have created a new class of of. Um, banquet attendee, if you will, someone who has accepted the invitation of salvation and has sat down at the banquet table but hasn't stuck around long enough to enjoy all the benefits of being a guest of the host. There is a lot for us, saints. If only we have the endurance, if only we have the patience to wait on the Lord and let him do the work in our hearts so that we can experience all that he would have for us. A great just general prayer that I heard someone say once was, Lord, I just want to have all that you would have for me. Lord, I don't know what that looks like. That's why I'm just praying this generality. But please remove anything inside of me 
that would prohibit me, that would inhibit me, that would block me from being able to receive from you. Let me examine myself before I come into your presence that there would, no, there would not be any impure thing inside of me so that I can come and commune at your table. I'm afraid we've created a new type of attendee at the banquet that's distracted. And again, some of the distractions are inherently good things. The Father, I think, would say to some of us, you know, where are my children? I've set the table for you. You know, in the natural, think of your own young children. You have dinner at the, at the table with them every evening, and it would be weird if they didn't show up, right? Especially if they were really little, like mine, right? Elijah's six years old. Where in the world could he possibly be? Five years old. Sorry. Brit- Brittany just waved at me. Five. Time is flying by. But seriously, it'd be weird if he wasn't there. Like, where is he? And I think the Father would say to us, where are you? I've set the table for you. And for little children, you know, he's not preparing spam and SpaghettiOs, right? Like, praise the Lord if that's your favorite dinner. But he's, he's setting out a steak dinner for us. It's not just morsels. It's not just scraps off the end of the table. He wants to give us a full course meal. There's many benefits of dining with the Lord. That's why we're prioritizing fall fellowship, right? How do we, we're, we're practicing it, fellowshipping with one another, which is important, but we should also be fellowshipping with the Lord while we're fellowshipping together. And so meals are just an inherent time of, of enjoyment, right? Who likes a good meal? Who doesn't enjoy food? And then all of a sudden you, you throw in good company and you're like, wow, there's so many benefits of being in a community of like-minded brothers and sisters who are pursuing hard after the Lord. But it doesn't just stop at a meal. So if you didn't know a banquet, there's many courses that are served. But the host also gives gifts to those who are in attendance. So if you want to check your seat back pocket in front of you, there's a little... No, I'm just kidding. I saw a couple of you check. There's nothing there. You get a Chick-fil-A gift card and you get a chick If you're online, there's, there's still time. Come. Okay, I'm kidding. All right, there's, no, there's nothing in any seat back. You can quit looking. But there's gifts for us, okay? And I would have had Brittany wrap more, but we ran out of nice paper. And I asked her yesterday to do this. <laughs> and Hobby Lobby is not open after 7 o'clock, so. We're on Sundays, praise the Lord. But there's gifts for us as well, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there in a minute. But we're all prone to losing heart. We're all prone to becoming distracted and not sitting around long enough at the table for the host to start bringing us the gifts that he would have for us, that we would inherit all that he would have for us. We get distracted. And so the devil may not um, be able to tempt us out of following the Lord, but he's Willing, he wants to tempt us with not becoming fully who we're supposed to be in Christ. He'll distract us. He'll, he wants us sleepwalking because we're not as effective soldiers in God's army. He doesn't want us armoring up. He doesn't want us walking in the gifts. So if he can come in with distraction, he's going to do it. And our culture is, a, is just saturated in it. I was uh, 
I forget where I was the other day, but there was a shoebox, and I forget the name of the company, but their tagline was live life com comfortably. If that doesn't just scream the American mantra, I don't know what does. The Lord wants to make us uncomfortable. We got to get outside of our comfort zones because you know what is really discomforting? If you're sitting in the presence of someone who's dying and you don't know if they know the Lord or not. So I share this. I know my aunt recently passed away and she knew the Lord, but that, that thought was ringing in my head as I was watching her take her last breath. Like, man, I have such great comfort that she knew Jesus. But what if this was a different relative? What if this was a different friend? And she couldn't talk. She was unresponsive. I had, if she didn't know the Lord, I had lost my opportunity. So I share that out of sobriety for all of us to be faithful, to listen to the prompting of the Lord, to try to incorporate him into our conversations and not get distracted with how the Miami Hurricanes lost the football game last night. Lord, help us. <laughs> so our culture, distraction runs deep. I heard Paul share a few uh, months ago in a message that the average American today experiences more marketing and advertising in one single day than an American living 100 years ago does in a lifetime. What? I mean, we're just inundated in. And you know what the number one most advertised thing is in television? More television. It's not food or drink or a, a go to this event or whatever. It is go to this event. Go continue sitting down on the couch and keep getting inundated on something of intrigue or something of interest. And it just mind, it, it, it numbs us. It dulls our senses but somehow it continues to allure us in. We have to make war on our flesh. Kelsey was exhorting it earlier. We are what we eat. Well, if you starve it, you're not going to become it. We got to exercise some self-control and some discipline, and I'm speaking to myself because I know I've been guilty of it. This thing right here, it's a monster. It can be a tool, but most oftentimes it's a monster because it's consuming. I mean, if, if you don't get your weekly or daily screen time reports, maybe turn that on and it'll wake you up to like, man, I'm spending way too much time on nothing. So we're inundated in distraction, and distraction leads us to drifting, which the Word cautions us strongly against. In Hebrews 2, it reads, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, the salvation message so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who hear, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So when you have purpose and direction but are drifting, that can be dangerous because it's a slow process, but we end up not in the right destination. But when you don't have direction, you don't have purpose and you're, drift, and you're drifting, well, you're just floating. You may not be treading water, but you're not growing in God either. You're not going anywhere. And so the Lord wants us 
not treading water. He wants us going forward with purpose, with goal, and, and not looking to the left or to the right, but staying on the straight and narrow and, and, and laying hold of the upward call of God on our lives. We're adrift in distraction. We're adrift in entertainment. It constantly calls out. And it'll either lead us astray or it will spiritually stunt us. I'm serious. I don't know about you, but if you've just spent a little bit of time on your phone and do some self-examination, or if you've been watching television for a little bit too long, I'm not going to put a number on it for any of you. You know you've got to examine your own heart and what, what is too much of a good or neutral thing. But you can feel it. It rises up. And in that moment, we take every thought captive. And we, or in, in this thought, I'm encouraging us to run with that thought. Man, this is too much. I've reached too much. I need to empty myself out. Ben, I think, was exhorting us earlier in the service. Of we we got to just pour out that stuff and fill up ourselves with the Lord. We need to get building get busy building a testimony of God in our lives and planting our flag on it and reminding ourselves of our own salvation experience. Okay, and I know for some of us, there wasn't maybe a radical day where the gospel was presented to us and, and we started following Jesus ever since. It was a slow transition or season, but we can still point to, hey, that time in my life for me, it was the spring of 2016, and I'm never going back to who I was before that. And thank you, Jesus, that you have always been with me, and you are with me, and you always will be with me, and I'm not going back to that old man. He's been crucified, and I'm not getting distracted by anything on my way while I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. You know, we shouldn't be uneasy or scared or trepidatious. Is that a word that I'm going for? About when um, Ben says, I like it. Sounds good. We shouldn't be easy, uneasy about when we see a sign or a wonder, someone speaking in tongues or a devil gets cast out. Because, you know, that might be someone's testimony and to another one a sign. And you never know how that might build up someone's faith or get them questioning and wondering and thinking. And then all of a sudden they find themselves in the scripture and that gospel seed got planted because of something God was doing in the spirit. But I'm not elevating miracles either because here's a possible deception. Because I, I used to think that, well, if we always just witnessed miracles, that I would always be encountered with God. Well, the 12 walked with Jesus, the greatest miracle worker, for over three years, and only one remained when he was crucified, John the Beloved. It was a relationship with, that kept him. One betrayed him, another ten scattered. But John, the Beloved One, who reclined at the table on the bosom of Christ, that precious relationship, you can picture it now, he wasn't going anywhere. didn't matter if Jesus performed another miracle or not. So can we look the suffering servant Jesus in the eyes and say, are you enough for me? Is the miracle of you humbling yourself to become a man and the miracle of you further humbling yourself to die and then the miracle of you further humbling yourself to die a death on a cross, a death of a sinner, horribly murdered and tortured for our behalf. Can we look him in the eye and say, you are enough. Jesus, it's all about you. No distraction will do. It's all about you, Jesus. 
But we do. We get distracted. It's on, Ben. Thank you. Here we go. First time using this. Six things that distract us. Thank you, Brittany. Not Brittany. She's not a distraction. <laughs> She's just helping us out. For those who couldn't see, the presents were in the way. All right, I talked about these first three. Money and possessions. Back to the Luke 14, that's, that's verse 18. I bought a piece of land. Five yoke of oxen. That's verse 19. Relationships, verse 20. Again, in and of themselves, these aren't bad things. The Bible encourages us to be good stewards of what the Lord has given us. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us that food and clothing will be provided for us if we seek him first. Right? Those get added so long as we're sowing into the spiritual. We're sowing into him. We're sowing into living a righteous lifestyle. Work, it's instituted before the fall. Adam and Eve were to tend to the garden. It's not good when a man's hands are idle. Now post-fall or even pre-fall. God, God saw purpose in work. just want to highlight this again for us because we see a brief story in Luke 10 if you want to turn there. With me, just a couple chapters before the great banquet. We'll, we'll come back to it. Luke 10, verse 38, says, Mary and Martha. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into, our, into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Work can be distracting, saints, and it's always going to be there. There's always more that we can be doing. There's always more preparations that need to take place, but not before the appointed time of spending time with him. It's not Mary versus Martha. It's Mary before Martha. And so I want to encourage us, before you go into your work day, whether you have a job or not, there's work to be done before you begin it. Get before the Lord for five minutes, whether that's in your car, before you don those doors, if you work at home, Go get in a closet, go on a walk, do something that's atypical out of your normal schedule and just get before the Lord for five minutes and ask him to free you of distractions during your work day. Your boss will thank me for that one. But more importantly, <laughs> ask him to be with you throughout your work day. And I'm just curious to hear the results that come from that. Just five minutes. If that means you don't stop at the coffee shop that morning, great. If that means you have to set the alarm five or ten minutes earlier, do it. we got to get radical about wanting to pursue Jesus because it looks like something. Desperation looks like something. We can voice it. We can use our lips. But if, if, if there's no deed to bear it out, do we actually really mean it? Relationships. Again, Adam and Eve, they were given to each other, but they were first given to their creator. Jesus elevates the standard of relationship to those who are doing the will of, their fa of the Father in heaven. And so your true brothers and sisters, they want you at the banquet table, and they're going to be there with you as well. 
right? Well, let's not be like the excuse makers who said, you know, money and possessions and work and relationships are going to keep me from being with the Lord. Who's to say that those things don't get added to you if only you would show up? How did they know that another piece of land wasn't a part of their gifts? How did they know that there wasn't five more oxen? How did they know that the invitation wasn't going to be extended to the wife and the kids and the in-laws and the cousins and the friends? And you just never know. We just have to be faithful for our own part. All right, so those were potentially good distractions, right? I just went over how these are good things, but we turn we can turn them into bad things. But let's address the elephant in the room. I already, already broke, broke it out. Cell phones, all right? I'm going to read some alarming statistics to you, and I know we're all very good Christians here, and they don't apply to us, <laughs> right? But chances are there's someone in this room who struggles, so I, I'm going to go there because it applies to me more than anyone, all right? 43% say of, of those who were surveyed said that, sorry, I got distracted. I thought that was, <laughs> I heard Siri and I thought it was my phone. I'm like, oh my goodness. Preaching on distractions and you divert yourself. All right, refocus here. Cell phones, 43% of those surveyed said that their phone is their most valuable possession. 83% of Americans feel uneasy leaving their phone at home. 54% of people say they panic when their cell phone battery goes below 20%. 41% of Americans say they experience stress or anxiety less than 30 minutes after misplacing their phone. The average American spends over four hours a day on their phone, which tallies up to two months of the year. So not only is is it a distraction, but it has a hold of us. If you feel that pull, like, I got to check what's going on in social media. I haven't looked in a while. I, uh, I wonder who texted me, and it, that's, that has a hold on you, all right? And, and I'm going to use this language. I know fasting applies to food, but I say praise the Lord when I hear people say, I'm going to fast social media, or I'm going to fast this phone, or I'm going to fast some certain thing that they are struggling with, okay? Because if that means it helps get you free, praise the Lord. All right, I'm not going to split hairs over fasting. If it needs to go, get rid of it. I think I'm speaking to someone right now. Don't harden your heart to the word of the Lord. If it needs to go, get rid of it. Because it's true of me. And I remember a few weeks ago, sitting down, it was bedtime. Brittany was getting ready to turn off the lights. And I'm like, I'm just not that tired. I'm going to go downstairs and read a book. I don't want to bother you. And then fast forward an hour later, I got a message or something. And I got sucked into my phone. I never read the book. I got tired and I went upstairs. I repented to her in the morning. I wasn't going to wake her up and do that. But <laughs> I repented to the Lord that night. I'm like, what could I have accomplished in that hour? as opposed to getting sucked into social media and then a highlight reel. Of I don't even remember. How worthless is that? I can't even share with you what I was looking at. But I probably could have shared with you had I opened up the good book, yes. sharpened my sword. Again, I, I try to share vulnerably so that you know I relate. I'm not preaching at. I'm, I'm preaching at me. <laughs> I need to hear this. I need that accountability. Brittany forgave me. She's so gracious. But yeah, we need to get radical. We want to, if we need to get free, we need to, we need to set out to do it. 
All right, I'm going to start stepping on some toes here. All right, the fifth one, politics. Election year is coming up. Primary battle is in full swing. I fell into it the last election cycle in 2020 and probably the one before that. All right, I care about my fellow man. I want him to succeed and prosper. I want this country to lead the way and be great. But that shouldn't become an idol in my life. So let's not get distracted by the latest indictment or who's getting prosecuted over what. None of that matters, okay? The kingdom of God is going to advance no matter who is in the White House. So I'm not saying don't have a voice. I'm not saying don't be informed don't, or don't care. If you're called to run for office and elect change or effect change, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Just don't let it be an idol in your life where we are consumed by, by more of the conversation around politics and, and we're not consumed by wanting to share Christ and cr Christ crucified. Because this one kind of goes hand in hand with it. Conspiracies. I know. I know it. I don't want it to become an, an idol in our lives. It's okay to have an opinion on it. And there's strong ar arguments and opinions out there about AI and COVID and vaccines and this and uh, one world governments and cryptocurrencies and the list goes on, right? I'm not going to expound on them from this pulpit. And I'm not saying that you can't care or have convictions about them, but I've seen people get sucked in by them and it becomes a major waste of time because at the end of the day, this can become great soil, all those conspiracies and more for sharing the gospel out of. Here's how. Hey, I don't know about all that, brother, but I see you're pretty worked up by it or I see you're pretty consumed by it. But you know what? I put my faith in Jesus and at the end of the age, every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it doesn't matter whether you got the vaccine or not we're all going to be bowing and we're all going to be confessing. It doesn't matter what political party you ascribe to, we're all going to be bowing. We're all going to be confessing. Yeah. Ephesians 5 tells us to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. So again, expose it. There's, there's evil attached to some of that stuff. But then Ephesians 5 goes on to say, be careful how we walk, making the most of our time because the days are evil. How do we make the most of our time? I'm glad we asked. I'm glad the Bible has an answer because in the next verse, 18, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and singing and making melody and making posts and arguments on Facebook with your heart to the Lord. No, that's wrong. I'll try again. How do we make the most of our time? Being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God. So please go ahead and expose the evil, but don't love the conversation around religion and politics and health care and all that more than you love God. If you'll turn with me to Philippians 3. I'm sure there's more distractions I could have put on the list. Go ahead and write number seven and fill it, whatever it is for you, and go back and, and repent and say, Lord, I, I don't want to be distracted by this any longer. Amen. Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Title, prestige, education levels, a piece of land, five yoke of oxen, cell phones, it's all rubbish. We should count them all as rubbish in order that we would know Christ. Jesus said that this is eternal life, that we would know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And I think in that same vein, Paul went on to to write in Philippians 3, that we would know him and that we would be found in him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Knowing the Lord is worth it. And not, it's not just about knowing him. We get to know his power and we get to know the sufferings as well. Jesus suffered on our behalf. And we're, we're supposed to walk lifestyles like he did. And while our end might not be crucifixion on a cross, we have to be willing to suffer that we would know him. Sometimes the best knowledge comes by way of experience. See, we have poor theology around suffering because our culture wants to preach, live life comfortably. But in order that we may know Jesus better, we might have to suffer. So the next time you're going through something, Ben just preached about it a couple weeks ago on the crushing and the process. Maybe the Lord is orchestrating something out together for the good of those who love him. And all discipline doesn't feel good in the moment, Hebrews 12. But in the end, it works out the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I, if I have to suffer to get the fruit of righteousness, then so be it. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind. All those distractions up there. Forgetting all those. And laying a hold of Jesus. Even if it's just the hem of his garment. Wasn't just the hem enough that perfectly cured the woman with the issue of blood? But he's not just the God of one hem. He wants to give you the full train. There are many benefits to dining at his table. So let's talk about that. There's three, three gifts I want to talk about that are offered to you at the great banquet table. All right, the first one is the gift of repentance. And it is a gift. Let's remove any negative connotation around the word repentance. Because it's the gift that unlocks the other two that I'm going to talk about. You will not inherit the kingdom of God and his promises if you're living in continual habitual sin. Our lifestyle needs to be include that of repentance and doing self-examination and saying, Lord, would you, would you bring into the light any darkness, any impurity in me that is prohibiting me from having the fullness of what you would, you would have? Help me to unwrap and unopen fully this gift 
of repentance. That I may continue to walk out my salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, I fear you, and that's why I want you to come and convict me. We all want to feel good inside, but sometimes what we really need is that deep conviction that affects change. So it is a gift. When God tells you to repent, he's inviting you into something good. It's his goodness that leads us unto repentance. Man, there was a powerful time uh, last Sunday in the altar call that was just centered around repentance. I've been in some powerful meetings, but I've really encountered the presence of the Lord there and really did some self-examination and repented of some things. Uh, many of the catalysts in my life and I'm sure in many lives and in here started with repentance, which is a 180, which is turning from something and turning to something, which leads us to number two, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38, repent each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, that's how I can say repentance unlocks these other gifts, okay? It starts with God gives us a choice. Paul shared the story last week of the, of the brother. Actually, he didn't end up becoming a brother because he missed his opportunity. The preacher was preaching on salvation, and today is the day to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus out of Hebrews 3, and he purposed in his heart that he would repent tomorrow, but he didn't have a tomorrow. He died in a car accident that night. It's a sobering story. But today is the day that we have an opportunity to draw near unto God and experience that which he would have for us. If only we would purpose in our heart to lay down our distractions, lay down our sin, and come and partake of the fruit of the Spirit. I almost put that as a, as a fourth gift, but like I said, we ran out of uh, wrapping paper, so we got three points, all right? <laughs> and part of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. And part of what he gives, he gives us spiritual gifts. And these are teachings in and of themselves, but if you want them for reference, we find it in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. So what if I told you, quit doing what you're doing, give up the piece of land, give up the five yoke of oxen, show up at this banquet table, and you will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and at least two or more of the following. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, effecting of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, various, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps, administration, service, teaching, generous giving, leading with del diligence, and mercy. Who wouldn't show up to that? But we get distracted. We say this Facebook reel is a little bit more entertaining than waiting just a little bit longer to unpack the gift or wait for it to come. So I want to encourage you all to wait with endurance, wait with patience. I know many of us have been asking, seeking, knocking before the Lord, wanting him to affect change, wanting him to do X, Y, or Z, or just impart deeper revelation of, of him inside of us. Keep going. Keep being patient. The answer is coming in, in God's timing, not ours. We have to release control. And say, God, you are in the driver's seat of my life. 
You are the captain of the ship. I want to stick around. I want to wait. I want to have all that the Lord would intend for me. The last gift we find in Ephesians 6, the armor, the spiritual armor, if you want to turn there. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Notice it requires our participation. The gift is given, but you have to you have to use it. All right? It's just like a toy. The batteries are included, but you still got to open up and insert the batteries in. The grace is there for it. Got to partner with him. Put on the full armor. I'm going to I'm going to delve into the full armor, but it's important that we have it all on lest there be a weakness, lest there be an exposure, lest, lest there be a soft spot. We need it all. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance in the petition for all the saints. I felt like the Lord gave me a little bit of a sports uh, phrase uh, when I was reading this passage, and that's the best offense is a good defense. Because I've often heard out of this passage of Scripture that the only offensive weapon that we are given is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And praise the Lord, I agree with that teaching. That is, that's good, right? The sword is an offensive weapon, and, and we can certainly use it for reproof, for correction, for discipline, for teaching, for evangelizing, for prophecy, for singing and praying, all from the Word of God. It's a versatile weapon. It can be offense and def defense. Jesus used it on the offensive in Matthew 4 when the devil tried tempting him, and he quoted all Old Testament, by the way, in refuting those temptations. But the best offense is a good defense. So when we're using those other armors, and we're going to get into them here in a second, you are on the offensive. We can go on the offensive. We can be attacking the enemy. We don't just have to sit there and take it. Or worse yet, we don't have to be distracted either while we're armoring up. Lest we're found with our defenses down and the, and the arrows of the enemy sinks into our flesh and takes us down or cause us to limp or cause us to stumble. We need to be armored up at all times. It says to gird yourself with the truth. Gird your loins with the truth. The most vulnerable part of you is protected with truth. We must love truth more than we love others. We must love the truth more than we love ourselves. It's the truth that sets us free. 
right? When we share vulnerably with trusted brothers and sisters, when we share vulnerably before the Lord, they're going to protect us with the truth. He's going to protect us with the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Truth might hurt. Tough love is a real thing. But it's the only thing that's really going to help us to grow in our spirit, man, and to grow in our walk with Christ. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. What's an easier target, a stationary one or a moving one? I, I read this, and, and I think of being on mission, right? Sharing the gospel. Stay on the offensive. Be sharing your faith. We might be exposed when we're out in the open, but again, we're taking, we're taking the battle to the enemy as opposed to just sitting there and, and letting life happen to us. There's something to be said for, for letting Jesus captain the ship, but then getting right behind him and saying, full force ahead, captain, I'm ready. Take me wherever you want to take me. Though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So send me wherever you want to send me, whether that be to the nations or to the grocery store. Lord, I want to be a messenger used of you, shod my feet with the gospel of peace. The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, all of these are, again, they're inherently defensive weaponry. But I've seen some pretty cool action movies and superhero movies where those guys are tearing up the enemy with whatever is available to them. And you know what? Your shield of faith, you just share your testimony. How has God showed up in your life and it builds up your faith and whoever you're sharing with it? Like, man, is there nothing that your God hasn't done for you? No, there isn't. He's done it all. He fights my battles. And I'm just going to bludgeon you with, with my own testimony. If you won't listen to the word of God, you'll. I'm not lying. I know what the Lord did for me. I'm just sharing it with you. The world has no problem sharing with us what they're doing out there. And I'm so grateful for being where I'm at on staff at our father's house for many reasons, but one of them, I would show up and hear about all the trash that the other guys at the workplace were doing over the weekend. I, I don't care. I don't want to hear that. And it, it's opportunity to share the gospel, to be sure. But that's where we can just bludgeon them with our faith. Well, where, where, what did you do this weekend? I was in the church. I was spending time with the Lord. You want to you come on in? Let me tell you about Jesus. There's so many opportunities that we can just subtly shift the conversation back towards the Lord because time is precious. precious. The day is evil. Be careful how you walk. And those who aren't following the Lord, they need to be really careful because we never know when our last breath is coming. The helmet of salvation. It's a soldier's crown. It distinguishes you. It, it lets you know what team you're on. You know, you think of the gridiron as what we call football. Well, I heard a, I heard a, a great football, a current great football player using his platform uh, as a testimony. His, his name is uh, Tua Tungo Vailoa. Stick with me. I, everyone, everyone just calls him Tua, okay? Because his last name's so hard to pronounce. Tua Tungo Vailoa. And you know what? He uses his tongue to glorify, to glorify Jesus. No, listen, hear, hear me out. Someone sent me this reel the other day, or this message the other day, and like, hey, check out his testimony. And he, and he starts out, and he's just kind of 
generically, like, oh, praise to the Lord. He's, he's doing great things in my life. And, and then uh, he's like, you know, a lot of people ask me, what am I doing on the sidelines? It looks like I'm, I'm talking to myself, but really I'm praying. And oftentimes I'm, I'm praying in tongues. Praise the Lord, unashamedly. This is one of the best players in the National Football League using his platform unashamedly to testify what God is doing in his life. And yet here I am ashamed to pray in tongues next to my brother because it might be a little too loud and make them uncomfortable. That's what Ben was exhorting us this morning in prayer. But again, it can be a sign to those who don't believe because it helps build up my faith. Seriously, I think about when every once in a while, the devil will try to use this one on me. He's like, it's all made up. It doesn't. God's not real. I'm like, no. And, I'll, I'll, and, I'll, and I refute him. But one thing that has stuck with me, I'm like, how do I pray in tongues then? How does that even work? Like, I, did, I didn't used to pray in tongues, but now I do. Like, no one out there in the world is, is using tongues. I mean, seriously, show up to the bars and the taverns. No one's praying in tongues out there. And praying in the Spirit is part of the spiritual armor. It's like the, the glue that helps keep it all together. And we might be uh, speaking mysteries unto ourselves, but it's perfect prayers unto God because it's His Spirit inside of us. And it certainly confuses the enemy. He has no idea what we're praying. But you know what? I am certainly edified every time I pray in the Spirit. I may not know what I'm saying, but I walk away encouraged. I walk away edified. I walk away with clarity of mind. So I encourage you all, if if you are baptized in the Spirit and have the gift of tongues to use it as a weapon in your warfare. And if you don't have it yet, please come talk to us. We would love to pray for you. And it is the Lord's heart to give you the gifts that he would have if you would just come to the banquet table with faith that they're coming too. There is a partnering. There is a level of faith that is required in order to receive that the Lord might, what the Lord might have for you. But distraction can enter in at any time to hinder, hinder us from fully receiving any of those. If you'll stand with me, I'll land this plane. We can go back to the, the great banquet table. We were the poor. We were the blind. We were the crippled. We were the lame. But we accepted the, the invitation of salvation to come and dine at his table every day. It's not a one and done. And he nurses us back to health where we're no longer as blind or crippled or lame. And once we understand that that used to be us, now we know the, the full gospel message is not just look what Jesus did for me, but look what he can do for you. And we become the slaves that get orders to go out and give the invitation to those on the highways and the byways and along the hedges to fulfill the great commission, to make disciples. We need to compel them, is what the parable teaches. Compel them. I just gave three reasons why you ought to be compelled to come and partake at the Lord's banquet table. And I hopefully stirred all of us to want to stay long enough and partake of that which the Lord would have for you and to get rid of any distraction.
to get rid of any noise that is just clogging up our ears and preventing us from hearing the Lord clearly. So, Father, I just repent of any distraction in my own life that is taking away from my time with you. I repent of anything that is on the throne of my heart that isn't you. Lord, let there be no close second lover or that you would be far and above everything else. And every time I come and commune with you, that I would bow the knee of my heart and confess you as my Lord and my Savior and my desperate need of you. Lord, help me to get desperate in my walking out of my spiritual walk with you, that I would do the things that you're prompting me to do even right now, that I would go home and effect change in my own life and that things would, would change. Lord, that I would experience transformation into the life of your son and that I would look more like him. Father, help me to be a sphere of influence in my sphere of influence. Lord, help us to armor up. Lord, help us to walk in the gifts of your spirit. Lord, help us to walk in your fruit. You made it all accessible by your death. Jesus, we thank you. We remember you. Help us to go out and remember all that you purchased. Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.